Good morning and welcome to the Lord's house as we worship here this morning. What a beautiful day the Lord has given to sing his praises. A few announcements this morning. First, a happy Father's Day to the fathers here among us and uh, to all. Uh, we, we give thanks as we think of all that the Lord has given in the way of godly fathers who have led us in keeping with truth, and we want to pray that that would continue. And just a reminder that next Sunday, the schedule will be a bit different. We're having services uh, back-to-back. We're having morning service, then we're having a VBS kickoff picnic, and then we'll have the service after we've cleaned up uh, from the picnic. So there'll be a morning service, then we'll have meal together, and look forward to the week ahead uh, in the, with Vacation Bible School coming up. Take note, too, of the needs there yet on the VBS, I think it's called the Wish Table, um, and some of the details that, um, uh, that are still needed for, for that to happen the following week. Be in prayer for the VBS. Uh, we'll have that uh, picnic together, and then we'll gather again for our second service. I ask you to stand this morning as we hear the call to worship from Psalm 86. Psalm 86, where the psalmist declares, There is none like you among the gods, among the rulers, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with, all, with, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love towards me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol, from the depths of death. This morning we remember our great God in worship. Congregation, in whom is your help? He greets you this morning, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. We're going to turn in our hymnals to number 91B, number 91B, who with God most high finds shelter, finding our strength, our fortress, our protection as we think about God as our loving Heavenly Father who protects and who directs and who keeps, let's sing those four stanzas, those four stanzas, number 91B.
morning as we read God's will for our lives from 1 John chapter 4, we're reminded of the truth that we are to proclaim, the truth that we are to hold to, and the lies that we must resist. We'll be looking at Genesis chapter 3 and the serpent in the, in the garden, Satan in the garden this morning and his lies, and we want to remember the call to confess Christ as the Son of God come in the flesh and to recognize that the love that the Father has shown to us, we are to show one to another. Therein we see the summary of the law. You're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. It is that which is set before us, reminding us that we need a Savior because we do not love with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we certainly do not love uh, God above all uh, and not even our neighbor as we love ourselves. That being the chief weakness that Satan seeks to exploit in us. We want to serve ourselves. We want to serve our own wills, and we'll see that I trust this morning as we open his word. But hearing then God's will from 1 John chapter 4, the first 10 verses. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Many lies are proclaimed. Therefore, it is necessary for us to know the truth and to pass on that truth. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit, every heart that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We need to remember that as we talk about the schemes of the devil, that God is greater, that his spirit in us is greater goes on, they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. There's a worldly perspective. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. There's our assurance of God's love for us, sending his son that we might live through him, that we might live in newness of life, that he was given as a sacrifice. What does love look like? Love looks like one who protects from error, one who turns away uh, people from paths of wickedness. The Lord sent his son to die to take away our curse and also to live, to set example before us of how we are to live in keeping with the commands of our Heavenly Father. Here's the assurance of pardon. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Christ has come and given himself for the complete forgiveness of all our sins that we might sing his praises, that we might seek to walk in newness of life following after our Savior, Jesus Christ. We want to respond with number 351 then in our hymnals, how deep the Father's love for us. Thinking of the fact of God as Father, 
how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. That sacrifice removed our offense, removed our sins, we who believe in him, that we might be forever accepted by him. Let's sing those three stanzas, number 351. Let's turn to the Lord now in time of prayer. Let us pray. There is none like you, O God, our Father. There are no works like yours. You are worthy of all our praise. And you assure us that we may come to you, to your throne of grace, and find help in our time of need. For you have sent your Son, who has given himself to pay the ransom, to pay for our sins. You have so patiently and lovingly maintained covenant fellowship with us. 
You enable us to work and to discover. You enable us to delight in Your world and to find new ways, new things to give You thanks for. Indeed, O Lord, we want to thank You today in the midst of all that goes on in the world which is disheartening and which is grievous. We give thanks for Your faithfulness, for Your hand of mercy. Lord, You carry us through life teaching us and equipping us. Those things which we discover in Your world are things which You have put there, which we cannot create, which we, in fact, are given as a gift to reverse the curse, to be used to sing Your praises. May that be our response. Lord, it is our great prayer that the nations would praise You, that they would worship You, that they would glorify Your name, for You do great and wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach us Your ways, O Lord, that we may walk in Your truth. Unite our hearts to fear Your name. Lord, as we think about the gifts that You give to us today, we think of the wonderful partnership of man and woman, the institution of family as a means by which to organize the world, the beautiful picture of strength and tenderness, Today, we give thanks for godly fathers, for those who show us what it looks like to serve, what it looks like to obey. Fathers who work to provide, who equip, or who are equipped so that they might protect. Lord, we pray that you would grant faithfulness, steadiness in protection, and fruitfulness in work to our fathers this day and to our in our homes. Make our homes places of joy and fortresses where battle plans for standing for truth are regularly discussed and practiced. For we know our enemy, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. As we talk about that this morning, may we not take him lightly, O Lord. May we not take lightly the call to be training our minds to be having our hearts stirred by Your Word and Spirit. We thank You, Lord, for this work which is done in our homes, teaching of truth, which is done in our schools, which is done in our churches. We pray for Vacation Bible School as plans, final plans are made for that this week and as we hope, Lord willing, the following week to, to welcome uh, many young children, we pray that they would be eager to learn, that there would be a, a, just a joy in fellowshipping together and a sense of the value and benefit of being gathered together to talk about your word and to be learning about your promises and your truths. Lord, we thank you for the way that you show grace and mercy. We thank you for the declaration passed at the Christian Reformed Church Synod this past week on human sexuality. We pray that you would keep that denomination strong. And may we fight our common enemy, the devil, as brothers and sisters, hopeful that truth unites 
practicing that truth, that we might be united in the Word by Your Spirit in bonds of peace, that we would stand together against a common enemy, that we would be encouraging each other in the weaknesses of our own flesh, and that we would be pointing ourselves to You. May we do that here in this congregation also, knowing that the Word is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Lord, protect us from the devil. Keep us from temptation. Deliver us from evil. Help us to know the devil's schemes, which are numerous, but come down to this, the tempting of our hearts to go our own way instead of taking the narrow path which leads to life, the hard path, but the gratifying and joyful path of obedience to You, the life-giving path, the way of peace and light. Father, we thank You for continually speaking to us for giving us Your Word. We, we cannot cease to give thanks for Your Word, for the way that You preserve it, for the way that we have access to it. Oh, Father, we thank You so much for it. We know that there are many places where worship is difficult, where it is hard to keep a copy of the Bible accessible. We think of the many lands where Christians are persecuted, where they're on the run, where they're being um, removed from their homes. We think of the unrest in places like Ukraine and the, the battlegrounds and what that does for, uh, for the disruption of daily life. And yet we pray that it would make them stronger to trust in You all the more, knowing that in this life it is but a constant sorrow. It is filled with sufferings. But that in You there is a promise of a life to come which is free from all trouble, from all tears, from all sorrows. A life of joy. Lord, we desire that too. Help us to press on, to carry on as though we were engaged in a long journey and not simply something that is uh, interjected with, with short experiences with You here in worship. But may it be that our days daily are filled with a word from You and that we would be led by Your Spirit. We pray for those who are dealing with infirmity of body which causes them to, to be discouraged. Others who, who are, are weakened and unable to be with us, we pray for our shut-ins. We pray for Debbie Ohms and for Barb Zanstra and for Beth, for George. We pray for those who have recently had surgery and are, are experiencing other complications. We pray for Ed and for his eyes that he would be healed and be able to see. We pray for Hank Youngman and for his uh, needs. We pray for uh, so many others who deal with, with depression, with pain. Continue to be with them, with Nikki and uh, with those who have daily health concerns. Grant your grace sufficient. Lord, we pray for um, those that we support in missions too. We think of Bill Green and uh, in their work through the, through the United Reformed Churches, how we, we, we pray for his work in Costa Rica, for the progress on their building construction there, which has been set back, and for the rising prices which affect the uh, ability, the, the possibility of them buying supplies. Lord, provide for them. We are 
praising you along with them for the many visitors and new members at the church. We pray that you would continue to encourage Bill and Aletha there and, and all those who, who have been with that church from, from years, many years past. Lord, we pray that you would protect these young members, that they would grow deep in their, in their rootedness in your word. We give praise along with them for the Christian school there. We ask, O oh Lord, that uh, they would be able to meet the, the increasing numbers uh, who are coming for training, that they would be able to, to meet that with, with strong arms and backs and, and clear minds and, and uh, inspired uh, emotions to know that this is a tremendous privilege and opportunity for them to be training up that next generation. Lord, we pray for our church plants here locally. We pray for uh, Reverend Serenus and the work that he's uh, doing in Chicago Heights. And we ask, O oh Lord, that you would continue to encourage him and as they look for uh, to establish themselves in that uh, new place of worship. May all of those final plans be put in place and the transition be a smooth transition. We pray for those who continue to serve in Divine Hope Reform Bible Seminary through teaching instruction. Give them joy and encouragement uh, as they see how the truth can uh, transform lives through the work of your Spirit. Father, we're so thankful that we have that truth, that we can hear it. We pray that you would bless it to to much fruitfulness in our lives. We ask that you would hear us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Number 482 is the song that we sing. Number 482, talking about the devil in the garden tempting our first parents, we sing, in doubt and temptation, I rest, Lord, in Thee. That's where we need to rest. That's where we need to, that's how we advance in the strength and the care and provision of of our gods. We're going to stand to sing those three stanzas, number 482.
We turn in God's Word this morning to Genesis chapter 3 as we continue our study in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 3. Studying God's creation and our place and purpose in it is so wonderfully illuminating and it's, it's, so, it's so grounding for us. So helpful. Many sermons could be preached on Genesis 1 and 2. We see how God has created harmony and creation. He creates the realms and then he fills them, days one through three and then days four through six. He creates beautiful diversity with a unified purpose for bringing him glory. There's a divine binary for reproduction, that there might be a future, male and female in the animal kingdom and humanity as well. This morning, though, we'll be looking at Genesis chapter three, those opening chapters, again, to set the stage. God gives a clear call and a purpose in His Word. He calls, or He gives this to the man and the woman. He says to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. He infuses creation with resources for humanity's survival. Chapter 1, 29 tells us in chapter 9, verse 3. He creates a world with resources, with potential to be developed as humanity obeys His call. In the human discovery and development, he is glorified. Again, he gives us boundaries and design and these foundational chapters for good. He gives the earth to man, the psalmist says, that we might work and keep it. His stipulation for that blessing is obedience. That's what Genesis 2, uh, verses 16 and 17 is about. When the Lord commanded the man, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. The command there is obey. Obey me, and it will go well with you. I want to spend just a few moments before we get into Genesis 3 to to think about the the, the state of Adam and Eve in their creation. I think it's important for us. It helped me to think through it this week. Maybe I've had more time to think about it uh, this week than, than obviously than you have had. But Adam and Eve are created as adults, but they were in their in their uh, understanding of how things worked and how they were designed were were children. They were learning. They needed to know the elementary truths, the foundational truths truths. And when, when we talk about the stages of educational growth, uh, they've been identified in the past as in three stages. You've got the grammar stage, the dialectic stage, and the rhetoric stage. In the grammar stage, you're learning the rules. You're learning the vocabulary. You're learning the ABCs, as it were, of what it means to, to be human and to, to explore God's world and how you're to live in it. The basic uh, means of communication and what it looks like to live in community. Then we have the, the ever so lovely uh, dialectic stage, the why stage. But why? But why? And this is necessary because what, the, what, what we are doing is trying to take what we've learned and, and ask, well, how does, that, how does that work in the world? How does, it, how does that play out? How does that fit together logically? Well, then parents have opportunity to teach kids to think, children to think critically about how things were designed to work and how sin has kept them from working that way so that we can make sense of what's wrong with the world. 
that we talk about what we're going to look at this morning, that what's wrong with the world is, is us. It's, it's our sinful nature. We'll talk about where that comes from this morning. Then you have the, the rhetoric stage where you, the student learns um, to, to take what they've, what they've uh, uh, received by way of information and what they've been, been processing to now think uh, and to develop moral framework in which to see the world. We talk about a worldview. And uh, that is so necessary for them to go through that, those steps. I'm not going to say a whole lot today to fathers particularly, but I think we all know that fathers play a crucial role in that process. And I read the statistics this week, and I don't know... I don't know the organization that put them together, so I'm not sure how they, how they found the statistics, but they said there are 18 and a half million children in this country that have no father. 18 and a half million. And that has an effect upon the culture, without a doubt, because God intends that families would have fathers. And it is absolutely critical that we be involved in their moral and intellectual growth so that they might be prepared for the attacks. This is where, last week we talked about the goodness of technology and of the dangers of saying the phone is only a bad, th- or the, the, the smartphone is only a bad thing. And, uh, and, and I said, well, no, there's some good things about it, but, but now there is a little disclaimer, a little bit of a warning here this morning as it pertains to the phone. What we do with our young children when we give them a phone before they've gone through these stages of learning, is flood them with information that, that has, that has a, a common purpose, by and large, to distort the truth and to develop other ways of thinking and to develop them to think in, to, to accept whatever they receive. They, they haven't been able to critically engage with what is being sent, uh, 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 sent at them. And so it's very dangerous. They're bombarded by poor reasoning, by indefensible conclusions, by weak logic. And they're faced with these, with these lies without being able to process them and, and to, to, to think through them and say, well, this is good and this is bad. This is right and this is wrong. This is logical. This is illogical and so forth. So it's very, very dangerous. And, and I, I was thinking about that as Adam and Eve were, were made as adults in the garden, they were yet childlike in their understanding of the world. They, were, they, they, had, they had their lives ahead of them to learn and to grow. And their, their, their call was to obey God. That was foundational to everything else. You may eat of every tree of the garden except this one. Don't disobey me. That's, that's, that's foundational to our living lives which are going to be blessed and be prosperous. We must heed the call of the Creator, the one who has become a loving Father to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Adam and Eve were to trust God and not go beyond Him. They needed to recognize God's boundaries to learn of His designs we, we never move beyond this stage. We must never move beyond God's boundaries. But we try today. And why is that? Because, because we're fallen. Because we are unable to do good in ourselves. The fall has effects in every area of our lives. Paradise was this. God walked and talked with man and woman. 
And he showed them the garden and all that was in it. But something happened that destroyed that relationship. What was it? Well, that's where Genesis 3 brings us. Let's turn our attention to the reading of God's Word. Genesis chapter 3, the first seven verses. This is the Word of God. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. (coughs) Excuse me. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree and that that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like him. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So far, the reading of God's own holy word. May he add his blessing to the proclamation of it this morning. Keep your Bibles out. We'll be looking at some other passages as they help us work through just who is it that is our enemy today. But dear congregation, misery entered the world on the day that Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. The origin of our misery stems from this disobedience. From that point on, all of humanity is conceived in sin. We call it original sin. We're conceived in sin. We're not born and then learn by example to do evil, to be sinful. We are inheritors of depravity from our first parents. That's how devastating disobedience to God was and how devastating it is still. What did Satan do? What did this serpent do? He came to Eve and craftily presented a lie to her. He wanted her to consider something other than God to be the source of her understanding. He wanted her to reject God and choose freedom, as we hear today, to be truly free. But to break from God is not freedom, it's death. And fathers, mothers, the application at the very beginning of the sermon this morning You need to teach your children that Satan is the father of lies, the destroyer of all that is good and beautiful. You are to teach the truth about humanity, what we are made for. You are to teach them what happened right here in the beginning when you hear people say, well, we're basically good. You hear that. It's distorted by acts of violence and people that don't believe in God who think that people are basically good can't make sense of it. But we know that there's something wrong with that statement. People are basically good because it says here in Scripture that we are fallen. That we are unable to do good. Spiritually dead. You need to help your children understand that so that they might go to God and confess their sins their personal sins, and not simply say, well, it was my environment, it was my upbringing, it was my this or it was my that, but instead to say, it is my heart that God must cleanse. 
It is my feet that God must move. It is my life that God must direct. We must teach our children about our great enemy. Who is Satan first this morning? Who is Satan? Genesis 3 tells us that a serpent appeared in the garden. We don't have anything uh, uh, hinting at that leading up to this, but there in chapter 3, we, we read of the serpent that appeared in the garden where God had placed the man and the woman. We aren't told where he came from. We're told that he was crafty. We read about the serpent here, and we read about the serpent at the, in the last book of the Bible. So it's almost as, as though this, we have to understand this is a bearing upon our whole lives, all of our existence from the very beginning to the very end. The devil is around us and working. In Revelation chapter 12, we're told that this serpent was an angel who rebelled against God and was cast out of heaven. His name was Satan, from the Aramaic meaning adversary. He had other names, prince of darkness, father of lies, accuser, beguiling serpent. We aren't told when he rebelled. We don't need to know when he rebelled, only that he rebelled and that he makes it his sole purpose to try and destroy, to destroy all that God made good, to destroy people who are called to guide creation to God's glory. There's numerous passages, 1 Peter 5, 8, Ephesians 6, 11, Revelation 12, 9, Job 1, Luke 22, 2 Corinthians 2, just to give you an idea of how many times we're warned about our adversary and what he seeks to do. He was a powerful angel, perhaps the most exalted angel in heaven. He sought greatness in heaven. He wanted to be greater than God. His words to Eve were not unfamiliar to himself. We're going to see that. He wanted to be God, like God and God of his own power volition. There are two passages in the Old Testament. The first I invite you to turn to is Ezekiel 28. Children, where's the book of Ezekiel? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Ezekiel 28, if you want to turn there, that's one passage we're going to be looking at this morning. The the, the words in these two passages don't state Satan's name directly, but they describe him for us, and they're helpful for us to understand just how he thinks and how he operates. Chapter opens, Ezekiel 28 opens with a prophecy about the prince of Tyre. Tyre was a city on the Mediterranean uh, seashore, a very uh, powerful city, important city. And the ruler is addressed there in Ezekiel 28, and he is a human ruler. He thinks himself to be God, verse 2. He thinks himself to be God, but, but Ezekiel, with a word from the Lord, states very clearly, you are but a man and no God, though you make your heart like the heart of a God. He thought himself a God. He boasted of being one. But he was now. Well, then later in the chapter, starting in verses, uh, verse 11, the prophecy goes a bit deeper, speaking against the king of Tyre, who does not appear to be, these verses do not appear to be dealing with a mere mortal, as we're going to see in a few moments. The king of Tyre. There seems to be a double referent here to the king of Tyre, who was Ethbal at that time, but to, a, but to the one who was behind 
the king of Tyre, the one whose, whose attitude and whose, whose heart is exposed, if we could speak of that way, the heart, the, the, the inner person of this king. The words describe the supreme king of evil, Satan himself, the satanic power behind and above this prince of Tyre that we read about in the beginning of Ezekiel 28. Listen to these words. Ezekiel, I'm reading at Ezekiel 28, starting verse 11. The word of the Lord came to me, to Ezekiel, saying, Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You are the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, and then it gives all of the gemstones. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. Verse 14, You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you, you were on the high mountain of God, in the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God. And I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. James Boyce writes about this passage. Obviously, there's much about these verses that we probably will not understand until we get to heaven. But if they describe the original state and subsequent fall of Satan, they tell us some important things about him. They describe him as being the wisest of all God's created beings. Friends, the devil is no one to be trifled with. He is wise and shrewd and crafty. And he knows how to twist, to turn the truth, how to to take our weaknesses and exploit them, to, to use our strengths and exploit them to our destruction. He goes on to say this, He is described as the wisest of all God's created beings, the model of perfection, full of wisdom, verse 12. He is said to have been the most beautiful of God's creatures, for he was perfect in beauty, verse 12. He was to speak for God, we know, administering the universe in in God's name. He was a creature, however, not the creator. And when he aspired to be more than a creature, he sinned. And the text bluntly This says bluntly and without further explanation, verse 15, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness, until unrighteousness was found in you. Again, there's double referent here, but it certainly seems to be uh, speaking of what God did with the devil. Turn back to Isaiah chapter 14. The other passage is Isaiah chapter 14. There, we are reading of the fall of the king of Babylon. And the king of Babylon was, a, was something symbolic in those days of, of the one who was the arch enemy or the, uh, the, the uh, oppressor of, of God's people. And so here, we're reading about the rebellion of the king of Babylon. And it sounds like a description of Satan from... His fall, his fall from his high place. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. Listen to these words. Verse 12. 
How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Descriptive of Satan's attitudes, his ambitions, and also descriptive of how he was cast down. We see who Satan is, and we see also his game plan or his ambitions here in these passages. He wanted to unseat God, verse 14. I will make myself like the Most High. I will sit on the Mount of Assembly. When he's cast down... He seeks to establish control in God's garden by drawing away God's rulers to serve him. His game plan was and is to seek to take humanity captive to do his will. That's how Paul describes it to Timothy. He says, Satan comes and seeks to take captive people to do his will. 2 Timothy 2 verse 26. He wants captivity to do his will. That's what he wants. He doesn't want what's best for you. He wants to take you and bind you. Before Satan's fall, there was only one will, God's will. After Satan's rebellion, there were two, Satan's and God's. Satan willed to take heaven. Did you hear that? I will, over and over again, five times there in those verses, starting verse 13. I will ascend to heaven. I will set my throne on high. I will set on the mount of, uh, sit on the mount of assembly. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. This is a warped, perverted, disobedient, rebellious will. And this is what it looks like to reject God's given position and his commands. No, no, I won't do that. I will do these things. I will. It is my will to do these things. Satan willed or made this His determined purpose to take heaven, but was cast down. Verse 15. And he came to earth. We're warned in Revelation chapter 12, verse 12. He has come down to make war with the people of God. Picture of Satan in the medieval church was something rather... uh, Comedic, and there was a reason for that. In the Middle Ages, in the medieval church, they thought that Satan's the way to attack Satan's biggest sin, his pride, was to make fun of him, to put a little tridentine hook in his uh, staff in his hand, to give him a little red tail, and to put little red horns on him to kind of make a mockery of him and and laugh at him. And I think sometimes we we we've that that's carried over, and we sometimes think of Satan as someone who's just this this silly little. Uh, unsatisfied child. And yet he is devious, one of the most exalted angels who was thrown down, wise and crafty, and one not to be taken lightly. One that needs us, or one for which we need to stand with all the gospel armor that we have set before us in the Scripture in Ephesians chapter 6. 
We cannot stand merely by drawing a funny picture of him and saying, well, that's who you are. He will continually seek to take down. He is like a lion prowling about, seeking whom he may devour. 1 Peter chapter 5. Highly intelligent, extremely crafty. He can turn the closest of friends against each other. He can ruin the strongest bonds of man-made peace. Truly, he can do many things. Now, obviously, he can't do more than he has permission to do. God is yet sovereign, but we must not take him lightly. We must be well-trained in mind and soul in order to withstand his schemes. He knows the heart of humanity, for it has become as his. I will be God. My will. The chief sin is pride. Verse 17 of Ezekiel 28. He says this, the the prophet says this about him, that it was his pride which led him to his place. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. Pride. He wanted to reject God as Lord and put himself on the throne. And that is the chief sin that we have. Wanting to do what we think is right. Wanting to declare wrong what we think is wrong. Satan wants to praise your perceptions, your reasoning to lead you to to turn away from God, to see the world as you wish it to be, to do the things that you want to do, thinking that you know what's best. He will take the strongest person and use their skill to lead to diabolical ends. He will take the one who's inclined to leadership and exploit, or to exploit that. He will take the weakest and exploit the timidity, which would lead that person to self-pity so that they would not follow after God but feel sorry for themselves and refuse to follow after God, saying His ways are too difficult. When indeed, Scripture tells us His ways are not burdensome, but they are light and life. He can use strengths and weaknesses against us. He's crafty. And we must be well-armed against Him. We must be well-examined, knowing our hearts and our tendencies so that we know where we especially need to preach God's Word to our own hearts and pray for God's Spirit to strengthen us. He has a glaring inability, and that is this. He cannot unite people. He wants to unite. And for a time, it looks like sin and wickedness unites, comes together. But what we recognize is that once the intended goal or purpose is reached, evil and wickedness devours itself. We're seeing it in our culture. Wickedness progressing further and further and further. And the one who thought that they were at the, at the apex of wickedness is now not wicked enough and must go further and further and further. And they eat one another. You see, it can't unite. It only destroys. It, it has a sense of, oh, power. We can have power and we can be influential and we can change the world. But what it does is it eats its own. Sin and wickedness following after the devil. We can think of many examples in Scripture. We don't have time to look at them. One of them is in Mark chapter 3, verse 6, this idea of uniting over a common cause. The Herodians and the Pharisees, who were haters of each other, were united when they stood against Jesus. And once Jesus was put upon the cross, they were at each other's throats once again. 
just as one example, but there, and there are many more. But the point I want us to, to understand is we have to stand against the devil, but we also have to understand that we can fight one another. He's able to stir us to fight each other. He will appeal to our wanting to be at the front of the line. He will appeal to us, to our desire to want to be noted, to be, to be overly praised, perhaps, we could put it. So that we who ought to be working together end up gossiping and slandering and backbiting and bitter and angry, unforgiving, refusing to reconcile. We must remember that for us to live the way that we were meant to live, we must turn to God. Only He can unite us. Only He can lead us to put sin to death, as we're going to hear about tonight. He can unite and hold together and give great strength and ability to live in harmony. He can forgive and restore and enable us to do the same. He unites and strengthens us beyond what we could ever muster ourselves when we are in the Lord as family and as, as our nuclear families and then as church family, we are impervious to his attacks. We can scale walls and defeat every attack. I'm, I was reading Psalm 18 this week. We'll be looking at the second half of Psalm 18 tonight in our psalm selection. And David says, with you I can scale a wall. With you I can, I can do all things. And he sets before us such a beautiful picture that with God we are 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 impervious. We are strong. When we are away from Him, when we think that we're strong in ourselves, then we are truly weak. That's what we must remember as we battle against the devil. Well then, what do we we see happening with uh, the devil toward Eve and eventually to Adam? The sin of Eve was at the moment when she chose to follow her reasoning and to reject God's command. That's the heart of sin. It's quite clear. We complicate things by talking about, well, motives and circumstances and timing, etc. But at its heart, sin is lawlessness. It is rejecting what God has said to follow what you or I want to be. It's pride and knowledge and ability. Sin adds. Sin subtracts. It does these things that God's Word might be seen as unreasonable or not fully developed. That's what Eve does when she's speaking with, in her response to the devil. She listened to the Word of the devil and it's seen in her response. She's, she leaves out God's generosity when she doesn't speak about God giving them every tree for food. She, she says this, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but then she, go, she adds... She speaks of how the Lord gives them the trees, but there is one that they may not eat of. And she adds, she adds a prohibition. She says, even if we touch it, we're going to die. Well, that's the nature of sin. To, to, to do what we can to twist and, and pervert what God says, to make it look unreasonable, to make it look, look impossible and, 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 and to be asked of us, to add or to subtract. Our sinful hearts paint God in the worst light and paint disobedience in the best light. Like it's reasonable. Like it makes sense. And Satan comes to help us move forward by telling lies and propping them up with further lies. What does he do? He makes a direct assault upon God's Word. That is what he does. That's his, that's his 
modus operandi. That's his mode of operation. He makes direct attack upon God's word. He says, you will not surely die. Here's why he doesn't want you to do that. He knows on the day that you eat of it, you'll be like him. You'll be God. You'll know good and evil. You won't need him. Now, you and I could ask the question very, very easily and and see the answer quite quickly. How does that work for a godless society? How does that work? Are they able to know good from evil? It's not working out so well, is it? Satan supports every twisting and redefinition of God's word and of his world. He loves vagaries and subtleties. He doesn't like precision. He calls debate about doctrine graceless talk. He'll use a term like that. Oh, it's graceless. The doctrine's graceless. It's only destructive. It divides. It absolutely does. It divides between truth and error. It divides between the truth and that which is attacking the truth. There is a graceless attitude that can come about, but doctrine is not the problem, and discussion of doctrine is not the problem. It is lack of knowledge of the truth that renders us weak and prone to the devil's attacks. The woman then, it says, verse 6, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, which is true, the tree was, was certainly delightful, the Lord made it good, but there was a prohibition put there. She saw that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, desired to make one independent. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Now our proud hearts tell us that we can size things up without any reference to God. Pride says, don't repeat God's word. Don't, don't, don't rehearse the truth. Go along with the crowd. Satan tells us that God is keeping us from being our authentic selves. Now that's a good word in itself. Authenticity is a good thing. Last week we talked about a genuine synthetic. We don't want to be a genuine synthetic. We want to be the real thing. We want to be authentic. But what he says here, or what's being said here in Satan's way of using the word authentic is, the only way you can be truly yourself is to be free from God to be free from his design, to be free from his creation and from the boundaries that he has given for your, he won't say it, but we'll say it, for your flourishing. No, he wants to keep you down. He doesn't want you to be all that you can be. He wants to keep you from being all that you can be. The word has been hijacked by him. The world won't talk of sin, but in the end, sin will be seen and our neediness revealed. Immediately upon their disobedience, Eve and Adam realized their foolishness. What does it say? They, and the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They knew that they could not stand on their own, that they were exposed. And they, the reaction was to cover up. Adam and Eve did not know completely what to do at this point, but they knew something needed to be done. And rebellion over the years has been perfected. Sinners cover up, quote-unquote, 
redefining words, changing categories so that sin is now accepted, is normalized. We normalize words which previously were not talked about in society, and we normalize them as good words, and we take away the good words and make them bad words. We legalize human behaviors which are sinful and call them rights. Well, the Lord saw what was happening, and he came down. And we'll be looking at that in weeks ahead. But we know this, that he came down to uphold the truth, and he came down to redeem the sinner. He promised that there would be deliverance. He promised already in this first book of the Bible that he would provide the way of redemption. And that is our only place of hope. It is in the Lord. Only he can bring the ability to see and to hear, to obey, and to delight in it, to delight in obedience. We're going to look at a genuine conversion tonight, the genuine new life, the glorious life-giving work of the Spirit of God. But in life, we must remember that we can never get away from the foundational truth for life is God's Word. We must repeat it and we must live it out. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that what? So that we might know the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So that we might know what is the good, that we might know what is the perfect, and that we might know what is the pleasing will of God. For in it there is life and there is reward. There is joy. There is thanksgiving. A diligent use of the Word of God combined with prayer for the Spirit to be at work in us is the chief means for escaping misery and finding true life. A word to fathers today as we close. Lead your families. Look to God's Word for life. Think about what the Word teaches and how you are to apply it. Something came into my email box this week. Very convicting. It's called Dad's Report Card. And on it, there are six categories. Oh, no, I wanted to drop one. There's actually seven. There's one of them I didn't like because it was too convicting. Spending time together, having fun, support and affirmation, listening well, recreation, physical activity, spiritual training, teaching, mentoring on life. Why do I bring it up? Because there are times, indeed, daily that we need to examine our lives how we're doing that. could be Mother's Report Card too, but it happens to be Father's Day and so I bring it up here. And there are a lot of things where your kids get to grade you. Now obviously they might have unbiblical expectations or they might have unbiblical hopes that you're going to do something that you shouldn't do. But it's helpful. And if you want a copy, I'll get it for you. Also, these little catechism books that we've gotten, that the elders have gotten, The first catechism, teaching children Bible truths, would encourage you if you don't use that in your devotions, if you haven't used that, if you're looking for something, use that. Teach them truth so that they might know the truth, that they might be aware that the devil's always trying to disrupt, to distort, to destroy. We can't reverse the curse through our obedience. Only Christ has done that. 
for he lived a perfect life. But he showed us that way. And God has given us his word that we might be led to see what the problem is, us, and to look to the one who is the solution, even our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's thank God for him. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for a Savior. We thank you for your living word, for your spirit who speaks to us, that you speak to us, that you go with us, that you don't despise us, but that you call us your children. May we not take that for granted. May we want to walk in the truth and may we know our enemy. May we know his schemes. May we learn them. May we know the truth so that we can defeat his lies. May we know the world and its bent and its desire because of original sin and fallenness. May we know the weakness of our own hearts. May we remember that we cannot live apart from you, but must submit to you. Guide us as our loving Heavenly Father, we pray, for the sake of your Son. Amen. Be Thou My Vision, number 446. That is a prayer of our hearts that the Lord would lead. Be Thou My Vision, O Lord of my heart. May You be all that I desire. Let's stand to sing those five stanzas, number 446.
Let's offer up a prayer with this morning, uh, morning offering. Father in heaven, we thank you for teaching, for training. We thank you for godly examples, for godly helpmeets, for those who serve graciously, cheerfully, abundantly. We thank you for Elam Christian School and for all the work that they do for those with particularly challenging needs. Lord, may they be blessed in their service. May the residents be fed as from you through their hands of compassion and their words of encouragement. Receive our gifts for this cause. With these prayers we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for that selection. Appreciate that. People of God, let us stand to hear God's parting blessing. Then we'll be singing the doxology as it's printed there. Hear these parting words of blessing. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. May he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.